Today I'm looking at employer salary advance schemes or just salary advance schemes for shorthand. And I just started by having a good look at the FCA's view on this because they say these schemes, these ESASs as they call them, are commonly promoted as an alternative to high street credit and have a broadly similar economic effect. They add that uh, whilst most of these schemes do not fall under the FCA's regulation, as they don't meet their definition of credit under legislation, that given the similarities with some credit products, they thought it might be helpful to set out their views uh, to employers and employees and scheme providers on how to make informed decisions in this area. They describe these schemes as salary advance schemes for employees to access, usually for a fee, some of their salary before their regular payday. And these schemes are a recent development and are usually administered by a specialist scheme operator. And I'm reading direct from the FCA website, so you can check that out yourselves. They go on to say that when used in the right way, these schemes can help employees. They can be a convenient way for employees to deal with unforeseen expenses, occasional short-term cash flows, and they're often promoted as a cheaper alternative to high-cost credit, such as payday loans. I thought I'd get some views from various people that are close to this. And I started out by asking Matt Bland, the Chief Executive Officer of Co-op Credit Union, just what exactly he thought these schemes offered and what do you think these schemes do? Well, there are different models. So I think with the market-leading earned wage access provider in the UK, it's still a very new sector, a firm called WageStream. Uh, they don't currently offer credit. It's simply earned wage access or pay advance system. However, there are others that do combine it with credit. And I know that it's something that all of the players in the market are looking at. You know, How could they offer a true credit facility alongside the earned wage access thing? And they also want to provide other services too, like savings facilities. But mostly the providers that, as they stand today, don't have the benefit that credit unions have of a banking license, the ability to take deposits, um, and the protection that comes with that of the financial services compensation scheme. Uh, and I know some of the players in the space are looking at banking licenses to address some of those issues. Um, so it's an evolving thing. The model is evolving. As it stands today, most of the providers are not providing traditional credit, only provide uh, earned wage access. But it is in the plans of a lot of the companies, whether they've done it yet or not, to offer a much broader range of services and things that are much more directly competitive with what credit unions offer. Here's Emily Tran from WageStream. I work for WageStream and my job is head of impact, which is actually a policy role rather than a people team role. And that's probably the first thing to say about what's sort of really interesting about WageStream is that we were founded as a social purpose business. So we were founded a little over four years ago and um, we have what we call our social charter. So part of our articles of association filed at Companies House in that we commit to two things. So we commit to improving financial well-being for frontline workers. And we also commit to helping to eradicate the poverty premium. Matt Bland again. Yeah, I think the idea, the vision that's driving this is really about a facility to enable a company to provide for its employees the ability to access their earnings in real time. 
And it's really, I think, linked to this whole phenomenon of the gig economy, right? So, you know, people are self-employed. They work when they want. They have that flexibility. Um, and in exchange for that, they should have the same flexibility about when they get the money that they've earned. And in, in that sense, with looking through that kind of frame, actually, yeah, it seems like a reasonable deal. But of course, the gig economy is a problematic thing. And actually, if you look at what people like the TUC or the International Labour Organization are saying about working conditions and where they are now and where they should be uh, for good quality work, it's not flexibility that people are looking for. It's consistency and it's security and it's the knowledge of that they're going to get a, you know, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. Um, and that they've got the security of knowing that that will continue so that they can plan and provide for their family and the necessities of life. So it's the, the idea of presenting the earned wage access alongside the gig economy as a really positive thing where workers get to work as and when they want works as long as you accept that the gig economy is a good thing. I contacted Lindsay Melvin, who's currently the chief executive officer at FlexiWage. He's also board advisor to the Payroll Centre Accounts Payable Association and vice chair of Fair Credit Charity. So so he's well placed to be able to give us a view on this. I started out by asking him, these salary advance schemes are not considered as credit by the Financial Conduct Authority. So I guess this means that they're not required to run affordability checks on the user before the wages have been advanced. And then it just occurred to me then that if you get to the end of the month and you can't pay priority bills at the end of that month uh, as a result of accessing your salary the, the month before, there may be a question of whether this is a sustainable method of accessing cash from their wages, or indeed, I suppose, is it ethical? I mean, it's an interesting question about the payroll system. You see, I've looked at the feedback from customers who have used such, such companies as WageStream, etc., and they... In the main, it works reasonably well. Where it doesn't work is where there's something out of the ordinary and then the customer suffers uh, no end. So, for instance, there have been a few cases where, for instance, um, someone has paid their advance early and the system, which is operated by the salary advance company, can't actually um, manage that. So it doesn't it, it doesn't always record the fact you paid a, a, early and then that that then causes cash flow issues for the customer further down the line. And there have been other instances where someone's changed their bank account uh, details, and that hasn't been picked up by the uh, salary advance company, even though they've been notified. So there have been situations where someone's got to the end of the month and they've had no pay. If you're paid direct by your employer, if you're not paid on time or if the amount's wrong, you phone up the payroll department and you get it sorted same day or next day. If you're reliant on a salary advance company where there's no phone number, there's only a support at whatever, you've got no direct phone number to phone up to sort to, to sort it out. You're reliant on their support function to deal with it within a reasonable space of time. And you can't go back to your employer because they've obviously dealt, as far as they are concerned, they have paid you as it's gone to the salary advance company. So I think that there's a there's quite a risk in terms of actually uh, causing incredible stress 
and and cost by a salary advance company uh, getting the processing wrong. Eric Porter is my go-to guy on well-being and being as it's a word that seems to be used an awful lot these days it's quite useful having someone that actually is a practitioner in the world of well-being he's the founder and chief exec of cheddar uh, which is a social enterprise working in improved capability and financial well-being he's also been a financial services consumer panel member He's also a senior advisor at WageStream. He's the chair of the Board of Trustees at Fair Money Advice. And all in all, uh, a pretty much a seasoned financial services person. And I know that he's been interested in this area for some time. So I asked him the question that seems to be emerging from listening to people in this new sector of financial services. And that is, is salary advance is this a sustainable new part of the financial services industry? Yes, but to be sustainable, I think it's about how it's done. So if it is, hey, we're going to jump in this month and give you an extra couple of hundred quid in terms of credit, let's say, and some providers do it in the form of credit, then you know that is sustainable. But we still, you know, at some point you've got to pay the piper, right? There's no free lunch. So when are we going to get that money back? How much is it going to cost you? Have we made sure that that individual understood and understands, you know, that there's interest attached and all of those different things? That's important. And also, what support is there to help that person get over whatever that immediate financial hurdle is and return to a position of stability, build financial resilience through savings, all of those different things? I think that's really important. You've got the other model as well, which is where you're taking an advance on your own wages, which isn't credit. And then, yes, at the end of the month, you know, there's going to be a reconciliation that happens and some of that money is going to go to the provider. You're going to get the rest. That, of course, does run the risk that the person is then short and a little bit like the overdraft world where you start the next month um, in the hole and you, you, you run the risk of being trapped in that cycle. And again, I think that goes back to what is all of the other support mechanism systems um, that's available um, for, from that provider. And I think this is where, you know, there are certain providers who are no longer in the market where they probably came in and said, right, here's a loan, do with it what you will, we're going to help you out At, with the promise of financial education and, and all that surround support. And they made a lot of noise about, you know, we've got the best financial education, look at our amazing portal, blah, blah, blah. And, and guess what? That actually, you know, their business was lending. They were just a lender. They were using the delivery vehicle of the, um, the employer. And that didn't last, right? And there are suppliers out there today who, who I've spoken to and I have challenged personally and said, you know, you're just giving loans. And so I think this is all about how we deliver it and how we do it rather than just saying, yeah, okay, we're going to help you this month. And what about this expression, well-being? I see some of the salary finance companies are very much putting forward a, a very social face, a very sort of community-minded face. And many of these companies are, seem to also offer a very caring aspect and are keen to make sure that their brand itself is one that's synonymous with well-being. Well, I thought whilst we've got Eric with us, let's see what he takes on the use of the word well-being. Is it a little bit undermined at the moment? mixed so as a as a financial well-being 
I don't even know what to call myself, practitioner, let's call myself that for today. I, I think it's one of those terms that has now become a buzzword and it's important. I think there are organizations, financial services organizations and others who do it really well. And you can see it in their product offering that, yes, they offer some product, financial services product, whether that's earned wage access or a loan or something else. But they offer a, a system of support around that, whether that's one-to-one -one financial coaching, that could be access to information, partnerships with debt charities, et cetera, right? I think those organizations that have that ecosystem of support and, and are doing things to make sure that users or members, customers, whatever you want to call them, um, that, that, that they are getting that support, then you can probably say financial well-being is, is used correctly. Where it's less okay, in my mind, is where someone says, oh, take out our loan and your financial well-being will be, you know, will be improved. Right? So yes, a person's financial well-being will likely be improved temporarily from a debt consolidation loan, because one of the keys for me when I think about financial well-being is feeling in control. And a debt consolidation loan often does help people feel in control for the time being because they get all their debts in one place and can march on. So there is an aspect. But I don't think the majority of organizations in the pure lending sector actually start from the position of financial well-being. I think they start from a position of, I have a lending product, I want to make money through charging interest, and actually the best way for me to do that is to slap the words financial well-being on it and then everyone will think it's a good thing. I asked Emily Tramp from WageStream, how do they measure the benefits of well-being and the service that they provide? So we are quite unique as WageStream in that we do have our social investors, our charity-backed investors. So we are required to report to the Fair by Design Fund on the impact that we have on the poverty premium and how people are using um, our savings proposition, our earned wage access proposition, and just the visibility and our and our financial coaching to then sort of get themselves into better shape and to swap out high cost products for, for lower cost alternatives. So that's one part of it. We also regularly survey our user base. So we get both quantitative and qualitative research to understand the impact that they perceive because a huge amount of well-being is perception. So feeling like they're being in, in, in control of their money, feeling like they're less stressed. So we get a lot of self-reported data from our users and we also connect to open banking data so we can actually measure what's happening with somebody's circumstances from the how much they're getting paid, how they're consuming that pay and then kind of what's happening at the at the other end. So we actually have quite a, an extensive program of work for us to look at how we're impacting individuals' well-being. And then in addition, we partner with uh, the employers we work with who will also um, do employee surveys and pulse checks to understand broadly how their employees are doing and how the different benefits that they offer are impacting their overall well-being. So a final word from Lindsay Melvin, do you think there's a real need and purpose for salary advance companies? I think it is how the salary advance companies have portrayed themselves as not that they don't lend and of course that then automatically ticks the box because an employer doesn't want to be seen to signpost an employee to get into debt. So, and it sort of looks as if they serve a purpose in terms of the emergency spend issue. But I think that the issue is that if an employer partners with them, 
then I think they have to be very clear with the salary advance company that they can only advance no more than, say, uh, 20% of the net or, um, or a monetary limit, because the employer has the authority to do that. And I think that they should be doing that to be to be to be fair to their employees they must not encourage their employees to fall into debt because if they can't pay the money back at the start of the next month then they're in debt aren't they and then therefore i think there's um i really am disturbed by the by the front which these salary advance companies have of being a financial well-being organization they do try to sort of to frame that in terms of maybe having some information about how to budget or they have a budgeting tool or they have articles about uh, better financial well-being. But my approach to that is totally different. To have this issue where they partner with a, with a so-called financial wellness organisation, which, which is a salary advance company, maybe it's sort of ticks the boxes of what they need to tick but doesn't necessarily give what the employer needs so finally i asked our speakers what do they see as the future for salary advance schemes i started first with emily and i asked the one question that i've been asked by other people and that is if you draw down part of your salary one month Surely you're just kicking the problem down the road because next month you won't be able to pay back what you regularly pay back and also live without the money that you've already spent. Yeah, and that's a really good question. And honestly, we get asked it all the time. And the things that I hear almost daily in my in my line of work are, how does it help? It just feels like kicking the can down the road. You know, aren't people going to get them stuck in a sort of cycle, cycle of, of debt, as they call it? And again, you have to step back and think about who who this product is for, who's using it and what their financial circumstances are. So we see people using the product in a wide variety of ways with a wide variety of circumstances. And so you'll have people who are already using expensive forms of credit like payday loans and they'll swap it out for access to their pay. So they'll swap out an expensive payday loan and they'll cycle down that high cost credit and replace it with earned wage access. So what they're doing is they're saving on those fees over time. They're kind of moving out of that cycle of being stuck paying high interest. You know, they're stuck paying double the cost of their finance to kind of a a fractional fee, sometimes covered by their employer as well, and kind of getting themselves on better financial footing. We also serve a large portion of people who are financially excluded, self-report that they don't have access to credit cards or overdrafts or kind of other mainstream forms of credit. And so they'll use our product, they'll use WageStream like you or I would use our credit card. They'll kind of use it to pay for things in month and then it gets cleared on payday and then they'll carry on the next month and use it that way. So for them, it's a mechanism to participate in financial services rather than be entirely excluded from it. And then you'll get people kind of the lumpy expense scenario, which everyone understands where your car breaks, you can't afford to fix it. So you access some of your wages to fix it and you cycle that down over over a few pay periods. So you kind of get yourself back on track. And again, the alternatives for some people are um, expensive forms of credit like catalogs, um, expensive forms of credit like payday lending. Sometimes the alternative is to go without. So your car breaks, you don't have a way of paying to fix it. So you call in sick to work and you lose your wages for the rest of that pay period until you get paid and you can fix it and come back to work. So 
Although sort of the, the devil's out of the positions often, won't people get stuck? Won't they not have enough left later? Again, if somebody is habitually paying a bill late because their pay cycle is out of sync with when their bills are due and they're habitually paying a £25 mispayment fee, they're far better off pulling their cash flow cycle in, accessing their pay once a month to pay that particular bill and then not paying that bounce payment fee. So kind of shifting their cash flow. Then I asked Matt Bland from Co-op Credit Union if he thought that salary finance companies in general offer a helpful service. What I would say, to be fair on that, is I think for a lot of people, they probably do offer um, a helpful service. I mean, one of the things that is interesting about how it's used is about 70%, according to the market-leading company's own data, about 70% of the people that have downloaded their app and and are users of the service don't take an advance on their wages. All they do is track how much they've earned in a way that the company couldn't offer them before. So I think that is, you know, is a useful service, uh, I guess, and, and helps you plan and manage your money. And there are other things that they're offering alongside what they do with the, with the advances. However, I think the problem for me with the wage advance model or earned wage access is twofold. One is in terms of the similarities it has to payday lending in the sense of not the interest rates because it's significantly cheaper than how Wonga used to charge for its service, but in the sense of how it's repaid. So the whole amount that you've had from your next pay packet is taken from from that very pay packet. And so you're that much down at the very start of the next month. And for many of those who are most stretched and in most need of the kind of financial support that this is seeking to offer, actually, they can't afford to lose that much out of next month's pay. And so they're going to need to use it again to get through the next month. And it becomes this cycle of repeat use, which for for those that are uh, least able to manage uh, their financial affairs, those are the most likely to get into this rollover cycle. And then the second question is about the vulnerability blindness that I mentioned already, which is about people who really are out of control with their spending for a variety of reasons. And this can only, well, can compound their problems. And for those two reasons, I think the case for regulation of this market seems to me to be very strong because, you know, we as a creditor, as a lender in a traditional sense, are required to take account of vulnerability. And we're required to ensure that credit that we extend is affordable to the borrowers that we extend it to. And I don't see any good reason why that shouldn't be the case for these companies as well. Well, I gave the final word to Eric Porter and I asked him, does he think this sector will thrive? Yeah. Um, again, I think the I think there's a, a massive future for the companies that are doing it well. I think the companies who came in, offered a few loans, um, maybe tried to play like they were doing something with financial well-being, financial education, call it what you will, are being found out quite quickly. Um, you know, we know of the, the one large collapse. Um, there, there are a couple of others that are out there who are teetering on the edge um, and employers actively looking to move away from them because I think they have also figured out that, you know, it may or may not be the right thing for, for their employees. 
Um, but I think the sector as a whole will continue to grow. I think it will continue to innovate. And I think, especially now, given cost of living pressures, given employers challenges with, you know, what are they going to offer to people when they can't rise, you know, raise salaries, you know, 20 or 30%, which is what people probably need to be on a footing with, with inflation and what's going on in the world. Um, they've got to find a way to offer additional benefits. And I think actually the sector is doing a lot more um, in terms of no, it's no longer just about getting you your money early. It is about developing credit products that, um, that are accessible and helpful potentially developing you know relationships in the insurance market you know in, you know that whole poverty premium that people in this market typically are subject to it will really the sector has the opportunity to to work and improve there there will probably continue to be the odd company who you know dips in and tries to to make it work but i think when you look at the uptake by specifically you know really large employers you know people who you know have thought about this before saying yes uh, I, I think it will continue to grow. Well, there we have it. It seems that while these products definitely have some benefits, it's important that employees and employers are aware that there's going to be some risks involved in using these schemes. And perhaps there's issues that's going to arise in terms of uh, the lack of regulation for uh, such companies, especially if they start wandering towards offering credit. Uh, there's possibly also a little lack of transparency about the cost and the fees that are charged and how much those fees are going to be and how they compare with alternative ways of obtaining money that may be interest rates from a credit union, for instance. Without doubt, there is an issue regarding dependency on such products and repeat use, which have been explained by our speakers today. I suppose the scheme operators could highlight on the employee section of their websites that even though they provide an app, if there are underlying financial problems, the salary advance may not in itself be sufficient to resolve it. And I suppose for employers, when introducing their staff to such schemes, should perhaps consider the limitations of a salary advance compared with, I'm bound to say, credit unions. Who, And let's face it, when credit unions take over members, they also teach them thrift. So members learn to save and borrow at the same time. And, and I think... Again, that model's been going for uh, hundreds of years for credit unions and cooperative organisations. So, And lastly, I suppose the specialist schemes, which are usually unregulated anyway, offer the well-being package as part of what they're offering. And it seems, listening to our speakers today, that some organisations, some companies offering this service have got a genuine well-being package and, and some seem to have what seems to be an illusion of well-being and again i think employers could probably investigate a little bit more as to what exactly well-being means for their employees and see whether there is definitely a, some sort of social dividend attached to being involved with salary advances well that's all for me today and a big thank you to emily trant matt bland lindsay melvin and eric porter see you soon